Uh, see, we've already gotten rid of that professional stuff. Right out the gate. <clears throat> All right. Everybody ready? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, welcome to the Subjective Comedy Podcast. We laugh now because we know that's getting ready to end for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. So before we get into the heavy stuff, Dan, uh, what, what maybe the most important week we've ever asked this, what are you drinking? Fucking everything, man. Uh, I have been really enjoying that Indiana Whiskey uh, Company bourbon out of South Bend. Uh, really good people, like I said last week, and just really, really good bourbon. Uh, I'm chasing it with Miller Lite because even though I like good bourbon, I am also still trash. Uh, <laughs> so I can't have nice things for very long. Uh, Rob, what about you? A nice cup of water. It's been a lot of drinking going on. I need to. I need to detoxify, clear out my Yes. Uh, bench. Hundred percent juice. No, actually, this time I got uh, Saint Elmo's Steakhouse makes a pre-made whiskey cola beverage in a can, and so I'm drinking that tonight. Um, apparently, Kane, the wrestler, just showed up <laughs> to Red Curb because for some reason the red lights just switched on to me. That was weird. Uh, all right, so uh, we actually have. Uh, a guest today as well, uh, joining Finch, Dan, Rob, and myself. Uh, Dan, you know this gentleman best. Why don't you uh, tell us about our guest? Uh, so our guest today is a buddy of mine named Jamie Carbone, originally a Chicago comic who I met down in Indianapolis at a Cat Cafe storytelling show that was in theory supposed to be comedy, but there was a lot of talk of rape, cancer, and suicide uh-huh, wait, wait, wait. So, could you could you repeat what what kind of show that was? It was a storytelling show at a cat cafe. It was raising money for the Humane Society. It's a great cause and very funny people on the show. They just all opted to be sad that day. Um, but the joy that came out of that, I did get to meet Jamie, and we hit it off talking about things like the West Wing and really, really nerdy stuff. And then Jamie relocated over to Portland, which means that I have to now get in a plane if I want to hang out, which <laughs> bumps me out. But it does give me an excuse to go to the Pacific Northwest. So our guest today, uh, Brad, why don't you take the lead uh, on welcoming Jamie Carbone. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. And it's ironic that Dan uh, kind of ended that intro with, you, he, you know, He'd always love a chance to come up to Portland, but there does seem to be some unrest. So what has it been like in Portland uh, recently, the past week or so? Well, I mean, honestly, for the past few months, uh, it's, I mean, first, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Let me start with that before I start bitching about where I currently live. Uh, <laughs> right now, it is, so, so there's two things. There is the Portland that it is where things are happening. And then there's the Portland that is presented on TV. Because the version y'all are getting on TV is such an exaggeration to the point where it seems like I'll talk to people, you know, somewhere in the Midwest and they'll be like, well, Portland sounds like a war zone. And it isn't. There is a four-block radius downtown, probably a little wider now, but a, 
around, we're about around 8 p.m. to 2, 3, 4 a.m., depending on how long it takes for cops to chase people out, where every night for the last, I want to say, two or three months, shit pops off. Like, just over and over again. People aren't going away from it. Cops aren't backing down. It is basically a stalemate of protests. The protests being fairly peaceful. Police uh, deciding that it is a riot. And then tear gassing and rubber bulleting people until they go away. That is it in a nutshell. Sorry, what? Is it a is it a play, is it thing you can go see, like a spectator event or... I mean, I wouldn't recommend it unless you've got uh, tear gas uh, goggles or something. But uh, as someone who is um, one in the fat category, so COVID is uh, already a fear, and two uh, could easily get the shit beaten out of him by a cop. I always just show. I always go for like a little bit before things get too dangerous, and then as I see things starting to get worse and, you know, I usually have to work early anyway, I use that as my, uh, a perfect excuse not to get uh, gassed and uh, air cannoned. So. Yeah. Hey, sorry guys, can't ride tonight, gotta work in the morning. Right. It's, I, I, it, it's a rough way to learn that I am not cut out to be Batman. Let me tell you that. Brad got tear gassed here in Indy. It was funny because he lives several times. And I laughed. Several Damn. times. Uh, calling Portland a war zone uh, is everyone familiar with the movie Dazed and Confused? Oh yeah, it's like saying, "Man, Slater's a, you know, a badass, a crazy motherfucker." That's what calling Portland a war zone. Like, if you had to tell, ask me, the last place in our country that would be a war zone, I would think Portland. Yeah, just because it's it just seems like everybody's just smoking weed. Um, it seems wonderful. Dan, go ahead. But- I really like that you've solidly identified our niche audience as people old enough to have seen Dazed and Confused. He's like, <laughs> kids are not listening to the product we're putting out. That movie holds and, up, dude. Yes, it does. I mean, it's and fine, I, but kids aren't watching it. They should be. <laughs> fair, fair. Kids should be better at watching movies from well before they were born. It's more of a more of a high school-ish movie though you relate more to it there but anyways let's not the get movie keeps getting older yeah. and the audience stays the same age right yeah, perfect. Oh, that was actually pretty good okay that was pretty good uh rob is like the fuck are you guys talking about it's uh white people's half-baked rob uh, so rob a really good description uh what 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 are your thoughts on everything going on and uh, uh we'll move from portland this is not what it seems something that does Seem to be what it seems as the video out of Kenosha, Wisconsin. Actually, let's not move off of Portland too fast because even with what everybody said about Portland, one of the things that, you know, when I've had conversations about what's going on there, it's like for the last, what, 15 years? Like the Pacific Northwest has almost been like the epicenter for the alt right movement. So it's almost actually the perfect place for everything that's going on right now. Um, so it makes a ton of sense that it everything is what. Yeah, Portland itself is, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are white supremacists everywhere. But Portland itself is the open-minded thing. It is literally all around us where the white supremacy tends to be breeding. It's like Bloomington, Indiana, and uh, Austin, Texas. Yes, exactly. Greenville, South Carolina. Hell, even yeah. Chicago's like that. 
Um, only, you know, just go out further to the burps like Naperville Joliet. You'll see the same shit. But, uh, but the problem is, thankfully, in Portland, it isn't happening as much. It's happening more in, like, Salem, the capital. That's where there have been more, um, you know, uh, all lives, blue lives kind of shit. But um, there was on Saturday, and I, I just happened to catch it uh, as it was kicking off um, because I, I work downtown, so I see a lot of it as it uh, is heating up. Um, was there? There was a Blue Lives Matter rally, and they basically attacked all of the the BLM movement that they could um, to the point where there was a guy who was bear macing people and pointing a loaded gun at uh, protesters. Because he thought that cops have it bad. So, Rob, you mentioned alt-white, and I just want to make sure, because I'm kind of sheltered with having no job and everything. Alt-white means, like, racial, like, white supremacy age, right? Alt-white. Alt-white, not white. Yeah. 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 So, so my, my thing is, and I lived in the Pacific Northwest for a while, and everybody, essentially, on that whole I-5 corridor or anything west of the mountains Mm -hmm. is a bunch of hippies that smoke a lot of weed and uh, are super chill. And then everybody on like the east side of Washington and Oregon is like a bunch of redneck Greenville, South Carolina guys. Uh, Jamie, no, they're, they're just really worried about the economy. Yeah, yeah we'll go with that. That's the excuse. Um, no, that, that's honestly a perfect way of describing it. It's almost like there's a, a demarcation around the mountains, it feels like. Um, the closer to the coast you are, the more open-minded you are, which is um, such a weird way of it happening. But, you know, I guess if you have hate in your heart, you don't enjoy a nice breeze. So many white people with dreadlocks. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if we could get rid of them, too, that would be great. <laughs> Finch, you stepped all over his uh, great line uh, of uh, uh, the breathe line. You stepped all over to the point where now I don't remember. And it was a damn good line. <laughs> and you couldn't let him have that moment and let it sit there. You jumped in there. Uh does anybody have anything else about Portland? I mean, Jamie, is do you where, where do you see as the end game uh, or the what kind of you know resolution can it come to? I mean, I don't know. I think honestly, I think things will keep building up until the election. Like that's I mean, honestly. Where do you go from trying to burn down City Hall, though? I feel like right. I mean, <laughs> at, at this point, it. I think it just depends on. If things keep happening, if there are like, because after you know the what happened in Kenosha, people more people were going to things here. So as events keep happening, the number this will stay consistent. But if for whatever reason things calm down, for example, you know if Biden wins the election, a lot of people will take that as okay, things will return to a sense of normalcy. I think things will calm down then. But if Trump wins again, I honestly don't know if it'll calm down. Well, and I feel like that's a reality that, like, the Democrats really need to take seriously and look at. Because if you watch that Republican National Convention, which I didn't, but I saw some highlights, every note they hit was kind of the one you expect, which is they're going to play on fear. Mm-hmm. And they are going to use the footage of those uh, riots stemming from peaceful protests, but there'll be no footage of the peaceful protests. It'll be all about the riots. And they're going to try to now scare white America into voting him back into office. And I think that's their exact plan. I think that there are uh, – is Degeneration X coming in because your legs I, just turn to green? Yeah, it's, 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 the, uh, it's WrestleMania 14 here at Red <laughs> Herb. Uh, Brad, what's – I was about to say, here comes the money. 
<laughs> so yeah, I work, uh, I work tech at at Red Curb. Sometimes where uh, where Brad happens to be. Oh, I'm going to jump off of this bubble at the end of the uh, episode. Finch so, works tech as he's telling us and then mutes himself mid-sentence. It's really good <laughs> that uh, we see why the lights keep fucking changing, bud. <laughs> There's just a, a loop that's going to go. He's going to turn another color here in about four minutes. Uh, all right. So, uh, yeah, where were we? That freaked me uh it's, it's, and it's also, I don't know what the hell is going on, but there's loud engines outside. And the only things around here are that would be open now are I guess the train station class. The train station right out back. No, they're not trains. They're like, they're trucks. They're all lives matter trucks. You can hear it. <laughs> there have been things added to those exhausts. They got that Jimmy, I'm glad you could be here for uh, for Brad's last episode before he gets murdered in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Did you lock the door behind you? And then randomly inter. Oh, absolutely. But randomly, intermittently, there's just the sound of children playing, which is just creepier than the monster truck exhaust, to be honest. Uh, but anyways, so this is this is what happened back in May, though. Remember, we talked about what was going on. Our initial episode was talking about what happened in Minneapolis. And towards the end, we asked uh, Rob uh, if, because he's our representative on this matter, if he thought that the same thing could happen in Indianapolis. What happened? Like within days, it happens in Indianapolis. Rob, I'm gonna ask you again. Do you see what's happening now, growing in Kenosha and Portland, and everything else coming back here? Ooh, Andy, I don't know. Um, other places, yeah. Um, it's funny, like right before this, my, I've, I've said before, my brother's a police officer. He's on like this national panel right now talking about everything that's going on with other police officers and law enforcement. And it's crazy just kind of hearing like what the crazy thing is, is like looking at the chats and there was this one officer who questioned um, why, like the thing that bothers him the most is when people are filming him with their camera. Like, it was like, like, what about, you know, what about, you know, when people have their cameras in our faces and recording everything we're doing and you know, like, dude, you're in America right now. Big brother watches every move you make. You know that as a cop, go find the camera. But like just hearing cops say things like that, it's like you would think like with the cop in Kenosha, you would think I'm not going to shoot somebody seven or eight times at point blank range in their back. You would think they would know not to do that, but now we're like reading the chat. It's like there are cops, like they just, there's this sense of reality that they're not living in. It's almost kind of like voting for Trump, you know, going like going into politics right now. It's like he's the president, people like him. I just don't understand how you can vote for somebody who has actually failed at everything he has ever done in life. <laughs> like bankruptcy is like the thing that is like got him out of it. So um, I, I think it's going to happen again. I just don't know if it's going to happen here in Indy. Well, and they with the Kenosha thing, it again, it's just it's how it's the same thing with you know when we used to have a felt like a mass shooting every you know four to six weeks. How many times are we going to do this where we every time with really with the exception of George Floyd, who probably had the least amount of noise around, and we hit the same notes that make they have no they don't have any frame of reference to to the fact that you don't shoot a guy seven times in the back. 
from point blank range when you already have a hand on them to begin with. They go, oh, well, there was a knife in the vehicle. There was, you know, uh, a there's a history of a, a criminal history. I don't care what his criminal history was. In that moment right there, he was a human being who didn't need to be shot seven times in the back. Like none of that matters around this, but that's what we do is one side kind of, uh, you know, points out like, hey, just watch the video. And then it feels like there's always this noise around it of, well, he had, you know, uh, fraud uh, issues in his past and he had this criminal charge in his past. And it doesn't matter for that specific moment in time. And it's just, we do the same thing over and over again without any real change. So, so one thing that is weird about Kenosha, and this is skipping forward a little bit, but I have suddenly been put in the position of telling people you need to see what happened before the recording started about the kid who was getting attacked and shot into the crowd and killed somebody because... There are so many people. Well, here's the thing. He killed one person in that crowd, but there are so many people flipping out saying that he was, it was self-defense. He was getting attacked. But before that recording started, he murdered somebody. And that's why he was getting attacked by a crowd. So like, usually I'll, I'll run into these situations where someone says, uh, well, I need to know what happened before the recording to find out what he said. Like, uh, uh, the case down in Georgia where people were saying, well, what did he say to those guys? Like, it, he could have said anything. It didn't, didn't matter what he said to have two people in two separate vehicles roll up and shoot him, stop their vehicles, get out of the vehicles and shoot him. But with this 17-year-old kid, you need to see what happened before because on camera, it does look like he's defending himself. But the only reason he was getting attacked is because he had just shot somebody in the fucking head. And the whole thing's a fucking mess. I'll give you one better. Yeah, we do need to see what happened before the video. Go all the way back to where he lives in Illinois, a couple hours away, and decided to drive there. No, dog, his mom gave him a ride. His mom mom drove him. She needs to go to jail, too. Yep, that's aiding and abetting. Yeah, I mean, Like, that is the worst kind of fucking Little League parent. Like, oh, well, you know, he just he just loves killing people, and I got to support his dreams. Honestly, I wish my parents supported me that much. <laughs> we would not be doing a podcast. We'd have a TV show if our parents believed in us that much. <laughs> Do you think she told him to wear, like, a jacket? I would have finished college if my parents believed in me that much. I wouldn't be on here because I would be happy and successful and not a comedian. Or, or honestly, if the police believed in you that much, because the most amazing part of that video to me is when he's walking up the street, clutching his gun, and people are screaming at the police, hey, he just murdered some people, he just shot some people, and they're just like, well, get out of the street, you're gonna get hurt. You know, like, it's um, they almost, they did everything but, like, tussle his hair and uh, give him, like, a little soft, uh, fake punch to the cheek and call him slugger and send him about his way because he drove home, right? Yeah, he, he, he went King. home and then the chief of police in Kenosha, I, I assume this has been walked back because like, like I'm going to school for public relations and I just, I wonder how 
someone was allowed to say some of the dumb shit that, that I see. That's the most tone-deaf thing I've ever heard. He said that if these people hadn't been violating curfew, they'd be alive. What the fuck? Like, he, he needs same... to fire their public relations person for allowing that... His, his public relations person should have speared him off that fucking podium. Yeah. Like, mid-sentence, just, nope! It's the same noise as, as he had a criminal history, so he shouldn't have been breaking the law, you know, uh... And he and deserved to get shot. It's the same. It's the same noise that's always put around. Where it that when we we have jails in this country that are inhumane and cruel, and you know should probably be looked at. But anytime somebody were to bring that up, they go, "Well, just don't do anything to go to jail." And it's not that easy in this country because too many times, you know, unarmed black men are being given their trial and sentencing. You know, in a blink of an eye. Right, like, the punishment is supposed to be jail. It's not supposed to be getting lice and getting stabbed because the jail is not being monitored properly. Like, the punishment is supposed to be being incarcerated, not having horrific conditions while incarcerated. Like, it's not supposed to be fun. It's jail. But it's not supposed to be inhumane. Well, that's like if you didn't want to die at war, you don't join the military? Is that the same kind of premise? I mean, well, in concept, but like the whole, I mean, if we're, if we're going to re, you know, defund the police, we also need to fix the entire prison industrial complex. I mean, like there's so many things to work on and we need to, instead of just putting more time and money after bad, we need to, as a society, fix it. But there's literally a half of the country that won't let it happen. So I, 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 I spend my night screaming into pillows, it feels like, just to maintain like, sanity. I, I've been saying this for a long time. I'm not opposed to the death penalty in some cases. What I am opposed to is the death penalty in its current incarnation, where I, I think it was in Illinois, 50% of death penalty cases are getting overturned, and like there's just... There are some people in this world who commit crimes so heinously and just with no remorse whatsoever, and if they get out, they're going to do it again. I don't have a problem with those people being put on death row. But the system as a whole is so flawed that until we can fix it, I'm against the death penalty. Like, I'm not against the nebulous idea of the death penalty, but... Death row in America is such a right. broken system. Exactly. It's just such a broken system that I don't trust them to do it. Well, yeah, because, I mean, honestly, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, if one innocent person is put to death for the death penalty for a crime they did not commit, it's one too many. I mean, because could you imagine being that one person? Like, that's how we all are supposed to think about that and kind of approach and treat that situation, I would assume. What if we were that one individual who had not committed a crime but was facing the death penalty? That's something that we just can't do to each other as human beings unless we're 100% sure, like you said. But like you also said, Dan, you don't trust them to get it right. Um, Rob, what what kind of solutions do you think we, we can look at to make any sort of possible, you know, you can't say return to normal because that was the problem. So... Better horizons, better future. Send all the white people back to Europe. <laughs> got militant Rob now. Go back to Europe. 
and half a Dan. Get out of here. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's. I mean, it's tough because there is this this is huge divide. Like was just said, like half of the country feels one way about things, and people is just so entrenched. And the people, a lot of times, people don't realize like you want the same thing. It's just how you get it is what people are arguing about. It's like it has to be my way. It has to be my way. And I think people just have to take a step back and go, hey, you know, we really want the same thing. But a friend of mine did this uh, storytelling um, um, series for the Obama Foundation. And he grabbed kids from the south side of Chicago and he grabbed kids from, like, farms in Nebraska. And they talked about guns. And they talked about what guns meant to them. And when the kids on the south side of Chicago heard that for the kids in Nebraska, it's just, this is how I have a relationship with my father. We went hunting. These are things. So now they understand why guns meant so much to them. But the kids in Nebraska understood why guns were a problem for kids on the south side of Chicago. And now they, instead of just thinking that, you know, the people on the south side of Chicago are just so violent, they realize there's an influx of guns. My father, under, my father in Nebraska knows every gun he has. <laughs> like, there's no, there's like, there's no trafficking of guns going on in our neighborhood or in the South South Chicago. Guns are getting in somehow, but they were able to just kind of get together and realize, okay, you know what? You're not a bad person. Guns just mean something different to you. But ultimately, I don't want nobody to die because of gun violence, you know? So, you know, if we can just get people to talk, but we have politicians who really are building their entire careers and platforms off the fact that we're going to make sure that people are siloed and not talking to each other. Well, go ahead, Dan. So I've been saying this for a while where if you use the right words, we do all want the same things. Like there is almost no reasonable person, you know, there's no reasonable person in this country that thinks if you get sick, you should just die if you don't have enough money. There's nobody that thinks that. There's nobody that thinks, you know what, uh, if you should you should starve to death if you don't make enough money. You should be homeless if you don't make enough money. Nobody reasonable thinks that, but it gets couched in this rhetoric. And the question, how are we going to pay for it, has been used to shut conversation down when instead that should be prompting a conversation. How are we going to pay for health care shouldn't mean, well, then we just don't get health care. It should start a discussion of, well, let's talk about how we're going to pay for it. Because nobody thinks you should just die if you don't have enough money. Now, Affleck duck would disagree. <laughs> like it just it's it's one of those things where everybody should be allowed to eat. And if I want to eat something made by Gordon Ramsay, then well, yeah, I'm gonna have to get some extra money and pay for that shit. But if I want to have a turkey sandwich because I haven't eaten in two days, I sh- like me not having any money shouldn't cause me to starve to death. Right, and the conversation doesn't have to be how are we going to pay for that, we playing for paying for other people, but how are we going to make sure that other people can pay for their own stuff? Uh, just turn the words around and be like, well, he needs to get a job or he needs to have a living wage or, you know, just how do we facilitate that? Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely on board for, uh, like, for people taking care of themselves. The problem we run into is there need to be enough protections in place that people can take care of themselves. I am very, very lucky. 
that I've got my service-connected disability and my college is getting paid for, my health care is getting paid for, so I am fine financially, but I have been really poor in the past. And, like, it just, it wasn't because I wasn't working. It wasn't because I was, you know, sitting on my ass playing video games and just not looking for a job. It's because I had three jobs and they paid enough for me to pay rent and make it to and from work and eat and do almost nothing else. And I couldn't better myself because there was some rich person who had decided, well, uh, you generate $20 an hour worth of income for me, but I'm going to go ahead and pay you $7.25 worth of income so I can make that extra money. Like, I am very on board with the idea of people taking care of themselves to better their situation, but there has to be protection in place to allow that because it's very hard to get out of poverty in this country. Even if you're doing everything right, one emergency can fuck all that up. Yeah, your car, you know, you have to, I had to replace my tires last year, and that was $500, $400 just gone. And I just remember being like, well, that, I hope I don't get sick, because as of right now, I don't think I could afford the copay. I don't think I could get by enough for anything. And I think that's the main issue. I don't love saying that it's a generational thing, but it very much is, because our parents' generation the wage disparity was so much less that you could very easily change classes. You know what I mean? Like if you were working two jobs, you could conceivably be able to pay for college, no problem. You could afford a nice car. And then the minimum wage just didn't go up. People were making more money. Money was inflating. But the money we were making didn't make any more money. So the older generations just have a problem realizing that that is the issue because they made their money. Why can't we do the same? Because we are not making the same rate of pay. And when you say that to them, it's almost like there's a disconnect. Like they either don't understand it or they've blinded themselves to the concept of the American dream. I don't know what the issue is. I just know that when I have seen these discussions, it's almost always, well, you know, when I was in college, I was able to pay my my whole uh, year by just working all summer. And I'm like, cool, you could do that because you were, one, college way cheaper, significantly cheaper. And two, you were making seven twenty five an hour in, you know, 1977. I'm making $8 an hour in 2016. That's just, I can't live off that. I can That's maybe pay my comedy, rent. Though. Oh, boy, ain't that the truth. Oh, no, like if you're exactly right. Enough money to buy weed too. My oh dad, no, you just mooched that off, friends. No, when when I was a kid, my dad was in community college. We were on welfare. He was working third shift as a security guard, but he got his associates and then he got his degree and he worked and worked. And now he makes very good money. Owns a house in California and is a tenured professor because he was able to just change his entire outlook because things were easier for the previous generation. And that is not to say it was easy. There were always problems. Every generation has had its problems, but the problems generated by the, uh, the wealth disparity were less for previous generations than ours. What kind of a mooch has to borrow money from a friend to fix his car, though? Yeah, we actually... Uh, Brad knows all about having car trouble and how how much of an issue what that happened to this table in the story. 
<laughs> so okay, I had to, here's okay. It's it's not gonna have as much. I realized when I was telling you guys the story before. I wasn't telling you guys the story before then. I realized how long it was and how drawn out. So I didn't do it last week. But recently, I had to borrow money from a friend to fix my car, and uh, it was a, a sum of money. And then I had paid back. Let's say seventy percent off the top of my head would be the math. Uh, to to uh, to the light switched again for the audio listener. Uh, the that was orange uh, for the audio listener. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to the visual listener. Yeah. Um, so I borrowed money from this friend, and it was uh, uh, I paid back seventy percent. Few days. Or I thought I did because I sent it to the wrong PayPal account. That was not a PayPal account. It was just his email that he didn't use for that. So it just sat there and he didn't get any sort of notification that I paid him. And then uh, a couple weeks later, I paid him uh, the rest. And he's like, all right, so that's 20%. And I'm like, on top of the 70%. And he's like, the fuck are you talking about? And I realized that he never got it. So that whole time, he never said anything about it. He was still a really good friend and a nice guy. And in his mind, though, he had to, anytime he saw my name on social media or if I text him, he had to be like, this motherfucker, he has got some fucking <laughs> balls on him. Because maybe I did ask to open for him uh, on New Year's Eve at a theater. And uh, I'm sure he's like, yeah, sure, absolutely. That'd be the last show you ever fucking do. Uh, I'm going to have open micers break your legs, most of them in your home market, want to anyways. So, uh, yeah. That's that's the story we derailed everything for. Honestly, I'm, I I liked it. I'm glad I heard it. <laughs> You're such a liar, Jamie. But uh, I want to ask you one last thing about uh, the kind of the protests and everything else, and then we'll talk about you and comedy. Um, so, with the Portland riots, have you know is how many times would you say the nights have ended in a riot over the past few months? Like, I mean, granted, I don't. I, I do not go that often. Um, and I would say it is labeled a riot at this point. I would say nine out of ten times at least, if not more. But it never it never is, is the thing. It was early okay. on. It was very early on. Them trying to burn down um, the Justice Center and uh, all that fun stuff. But it is nowadays peaceful. You might have people yelling... But that's First Amendment. You know, you can say whatever you want. But the second that cops, for whatever reason, decide they don't want to deal with people is when, like, they have loudspeakers that will announce, this is, a, you know, a, a unlawful gathering. You know, please disperse. Yeah, that is, so is it a pattern? Does it feel like those nights always kind of have the same rhythm to them? Like the yes. same kind of flow? I, well, look, I, you get tired and you want to go home, so you decide that it's a riot, and then you can shoot people. Yep, you can just... Well, then the night gets more fun for them, I assume. Well, because it feels like it was the same way... When we when I was watching the videos from Minneapolis of all that going down before it happened in Indianapolis, it felt eerily familiar when it happened in Indianapolis. And then when I talked to people from other cities and markets, it feels like these things all have some sort of same kind of rhythm and... Uh, to them where they have like this it just it's weird like almost as if some of them are maybe orchestrated because it feels like it does it has the same flow through the night and then the same notes are hit throughout the night and it's just real it's weird 
that everything would start the same way and kind of go the same way every night, every time there's civil unrest in every city across America that it is. Part of me thinks that it's because it gives the cops the at least the semblance of control. They're like, okay, we know what's going to happen, so we are prepared for this. Granted, we know what's going to happen because we are causing what is going to happen. But that semblance of... I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, that's what they care about. They want control over the situation. At least from what I've seen. So I think that that is part of them being like... Hold on. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Of them being like, okay, well, you are allowed to gather on our terms. And once you have surpassed that, we are taking control again. Oh, what did you say, Rob? I can't hear Rob. Can you guys hear Rob? Mm-mm. We can't hear you. Same thing that happened last week. I don't know, man. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay, Dan is recording. I yeah, I, I hit record, but he'll have to put them together, I guess. Uh, yeah. And does anybody remember where Finch left? Uh, it, like he just left, like while Rob was still having the speaking let's issues. Put it, let's put it this way: he's he's you know contributed so much to this episode. I didn't. I just now realized he was gone when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wait there we go Finch is back I hit record while you were gone so it's gonna be awkward where'd you go I see that I don't know it just dropped Uh, it said my connection was weak I felt personally attacked I'm just gonna talk about your manhood like that that's that's intense (laughs) speaking of personal attack let's get to know J.B. Carbone (laughs) Jamie, you are originally from Chicago, right? I'm originally from West Virginia. Oh, what part? Uh, Charleston. Okay, I used to do a lot of shows uh, in Morgantown. Oh, right on. Yeah, that's where I started. Really? In stand-up. No, no, no. I I did it downtown. (laughs) Um, I I never made it to the hotel circuit while I still lived uh, in West Virginia. Sadly. Uh, I didn't miss much. That (laughs) hotel was like The Shining, though. I Uh, believe it, yeah. Far up the hill, you do have to go. Um, yeah, there was another place in Morgantown, Parkersburg, or uh, not Morgantown, in West Virginia, Parkersburg, West Virginia. They used to have a show, had a huge glass like wall uh, behind you, and it was always an amazing show, but no one ever bought anything. Uh, so, how when did when did you start comedy? Um, I started in uh, summer of 2011. Um, in Morgantown, I was in grad school because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So uh, I decided to try stand-up to see if that filled the hole, and it's something I fell in love with immediately. <coughs> Excuse me. And then, and then, how long for it to become a you know abusive relationship with comedy? Um, kind of immediately. Uh, <laughs> um, I. Uh, Basically, uh, while living in Morgantown, I mean, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. If you were um, good, you could get up maybe twice a week between shows, open mics, all that fun stuff. Um, If you're one of the bad guys, you were lucky if you could get up twice a month. Um, But then I moved to Chicago in 2013. And that is when uh, I started taking comedy seriously and also descended full-blown into alcoholism. So uh, hand in hand, those went real well together. 
Uh, and that's where I like started treating it like more less like a hobby, more like a job to the point where um, for a couple years while I lived there, it was my main source of income, just either um, going around or doing like private Chicago events, stuff like that. It was pulling enough money in where I'm like, well, maybe I don't really need to do anything else. And then I wanted to take it more seriously. So I decided I, I wanted to move to L.A. And then my wife told me she hated L.A. <laughs> so the the uh, the agreed upon negotiation was Portland because it's close enough to LA where I can go down there and still do stuff. Um, there's a good there's a solid comedy scene out here, and uh, it's close enough to like feeling like we're back in the mountains. It feels very much like West Virginia, so that sense of comfort has been returned. But then you know we were here honestly because of this pandemic. I have no joke canceled. Three, I had to cancel three different tours with two more like in the works, like I was getting started. And I was trying to, honestly, my goal was by the end of 2020 to just be doing stand-up full-time again. And now I uh, am here with you guys. So... It's really a step yeah, down, so, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, so you're further away than you thought. Uh, you got worse from doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what what have you noticed? You should actually feel worse than you're joking about. <laughs> oh, I feel awful all the time. I don't know if that's coming through just via the talking, but my soul is ruined. Um, what did you notice is the biggest difference between the because those are those are very different markets for comedy between you know uh, West Virginia, uh, Chicago, Portland. What's the biggest differences you've noticed between the three comedy, you know, like, like the local scenes? Sure. Well, West Virginia is, honestly, you could probably get away with murder on stage. As long as it ended in a slur, it would probably get some laughs. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah no. Um, so, honestly, I'm, I'm glad I didn't let that form too much of my uh, comedy self. Chicago, honestly, kind of prepared me for wherever because... You know, people, it's, it is, you know, a very liberal town, but it's also, you have people from all walks of life, blue collar, redneck, um, white collar, all kinds of people. So if it can work, if a joke works in, you know, the five different types of rooms you could do in that town, you know, it's going to work. Hey, you're back to normal. Uh, the lights switch to regular. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you can make jokes work in, you know, the five rooms, then you know that it's road ready. So honestly, I've always called Chicago comedy grad school. Because it is a place to get good. You're not going to make a lot of money there because, you know, most of the shows are free or donation-based. So you're lucky if, you know, you do 20 minutes and you walk away with $10 sometimes. But it's a good town to get good at stand-up. And that that's why whenever someone tells me they're moving there, I'm like, you should. Don't stick around too long because that's what most people do. They get comfortable. But it's a great place to get good. And honestly, from coming there to Portland, it's not too different. Like, that's surprising. Yeah, that honestly, that I was expecting it to be a very PC town, and to be fair, it is. But as long as you are coming from a way that doesn't punch down, people let a lot go. People are on board with a lot of things. Um, my biggest issue with Portland, though, and I do love this town, but it's Clapter. You know what I mean? Someone will tell not a joke, but they will uh, praise something about like uh, you know some minority group that gets punched out. And I'm like, there's not really a joke here. You're just having people clap for women. And don't get me wrong. I think women deserve clapping at 
a more appropriate venue. Tell a joke about it and then see if you get that way. But if you're just being like, let's give it up for, you know, it's basically, I'm going to talk about this, this minority group in a way where I don't have a joke about it. I don't have any kind of material about it. I just want to appear to be an ally so that you are all on my side. And fuck that. Oh, my God, fuck that. Get that out of stand-up. Be an ally. Don't get me wrong. Just don't grandstand for the sake of making yourself fucking feel good. What do you mean, like, standing up and just saying, so, I'm a single dad? No, that's different, because you're using it to launch into a premise. You know but, what? No, hold on. You know, hold on, Jamie. No, hold on. I appreciate that, by the way. He's, he's Finch is quoting my material uh, <laughs> to take a dig at me. And so, but here's what I love about that, Finch. So I had something too. I was gonna jump in there with, but I saw how badly like he was like rocking and waiting to get in there. Like he put his, he, you know, he, he gave us the signal several times that he wanted to jump in. So I let him do it, and he limped in there with that that Jamie had the Vince because Jamie's a nice guy. Had to try to work back in the conversation after you derailed uh, exactly where he was but really talking about that. But here's the thing. And mine was going to be that I agree with Jamie because I've given lots of women the clap. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, that's honestly pretty good. But uh, Thank you. But here's the thing. If you say, like, so I'm a single dad, as long as you're going into jokes, fucking go for it. But if you're just being like, uh, Let's give you it know, up for the nurses. They're the real heroes. Yeah, or shit like that. Or like, the, there's the the worst example I can think of is that there is a um, person who will just talk about like, you know, I used to be a sex worker, and honestly, great, more power to you. Laws have really screwed you over. Make your money how you make your money. But then there are no jokes. It is just like, boy, these people sure like the men you deal with sure are gross. And I'm like, yes, but gross how? Give us a gross way we can relate to it. Let's not don't ask for us to just support you that you have dealt with gross men in a comedy context. Save it for a storytelling show. Save it for a show where it's like themed around that. Give us fucking jokes in stand up. You know what I mean? I guess what mm -hmm. I'm saying is be fucking funny or get off stage. The, the well, most overt one that I ever saw of that when I lived in San Francisco, there was this guy who I think he's quit comedy and fuck good. Um, but he would be doing his routine and it was fine. Nothing, nothing exciting, but just talking about being a dad, talking about, uh, his office job. And then he would say out of, yeah, Brad, you don't have a fucking office job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I said get comfortable after that. But he, uh, just out of nowhere in the middle of his set, if nobody was laughing, he would say, oh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, an, I'm a Navy officer. And that would get the obligatory applause because even in California, like they're going to clap for it, especially Navy because Fleet Week is a major economic boost. But he didn't have a single joke about being in the Navy. He just said that during a low energy moment on his set. It came in a uh, different part every time. It was that's exactly worst. what I'm talking about. It. It's I hate the fucking worst. I hate like, oh, you want positive reinforcement all of a sudden, and your material and your written material is not getting it for it. So you're giving us an excuse to be on your side. Get out of here. And it happens a lot. No, no offense, Dan, but I've seen it a lot with veterans. Um, I've seen it a lot with um, people being like gay or queer. And like, here's the thing: I identify as queer, and I have a joke. Before I had like a proper lead-in with it, I would just say I'm queer, just as an audience to like 
to just like snap him to attention before launching into the joke. And one time it got a round of applause and I told them to stop that. Your heart's not in it. Like, do not give me <laughs> bullshit. Did you do that? Did you do the I'm queer thing? Did you do that in West Virginia? Oh, fuck no. Oh, my God. <laughs> First of all, I wasn't comfortably out of the closet at that point. But two, uh, <laughs> I, I, unless I was in Charleston or Morgantown, I might do it. But if I was in, like, like Parkersburg, absolutely not. I would not. Uh-uh. No, sir. I would get. If I was lucky, I would get run out of that town. Worse, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong; they've become more accepting, but there's always going to be like that small group of guys who are like, "Yo, fuck this slur, get him out of this town." Yeah, there's a lot of places like that across the country. That's one thing you discover. It's in every comedy. state. Like they always yeah. say, the South. It's every state has their equivalent of the South. The South is a state of mind more than it is like an actual place. Oh, it's concentric circles the further you get past 20 miles out of any major city. Yeah, that's a great way of describing it, honestly. And Because um, it's in California, too, like yep. Bakersfield. Like, just out 20 miles outside of any major city, it starts to get worse and just gets worse and worse. And you might get little bubbles of nice and accepting, but, like, anywhere where there's not just a lot of different kinds of people, then it's the same person. And... That person is the worst. Uh, before we get to Mount Rushmore, uh, I was going to say when Jamie was talking about that comment, where people, whenever someone says to me, I'm a sex worker, my first question is always, so when did you start doing comedy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and now Mount Rushmore, as we all know, Mount Rushmore, of course, top five. Um, a Mount Rushmore, uh, what did we decide on? Was it cartoon characters? Yeah, because that was one of the topics we were going to get into, but I don't think oh, we, uh, we have time no, look, for it. You know what? No, we actually we do have time. We can sneak that. We let's let's get that in there. We've been we missed it for two weeks now. So before we do Mount Rushmore, uh, Dan, uh, I'll let you take the lead. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, I saw uh, obviously Dolly Parton made her big pro Black Lives Matter statement, and all of the uh, usual suspects got mad about it saying that they were going to boycott Dolly Parton as if she gives a shit while she's counting her money. Um, Boycott what? Dollywood? Dollywood, and they're not going to watch 9 to 5. You know, the usual. That's their loss. Right? Dolly is a national fucking treasure. She gives books to kids for free. Like, she is the closest thing we have to a saint in this country. She is a wonderful human. Also that, and that is... As important as the books to kids, let's be real. Um, it's more relevant in my life. You know how no much books? money she actually made? So, you know how many black people decided, you know what? We're going to have to cook out there next year. Well, black people started playing the picnic. I've always wanted to go to Dollywood. Just never thought I'd be accepted. We're on our way next year. Right. As soon as COVID's over. We're going to get a shot with it. And then, so this musical comedian whose real name I couldn't tell you because the first time I heard about this person was when I heard about him getting fired for making anti-Dolly statements. Like, he called her a slut and said she had floppy tits or something and talked about how uh, she was going to ruin her career being pro-Black Lives Matter. And, like, I have no idea who this person is. The only thing I knew about him was that he voiced a character on Squidbillies. And my favorite thing about the entire just debacle 
is his fans were saying, oh, well, you know, good luck finding somebody to replace him on the show as though shitty Southern redneck isn't the accent literally everyone can do. Like, that's the one voice every single person can do, whether well, they speak English or not. It's a cartoon. They'll just kill, they'll just erase the character. Or they'll get somebody else to do a shitty redneck accent. Like, shitty redneck stereotype, everyone can do that. We could all do it with no prep right now. And well, help, help, help. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Around the room. Starting, <laughs> starting with Dan, let's hear your shitty southern redneck uh, accent. Well, I don't know if this is fair, because I mean, we got Jamie over here who's from West Virginia, so I mean, he's just like a ringer. Yeah, it is literally ingrained into my DNA to just do this off the cuff. So I am ready from jump. <laughs> Finch? Yeah, I don't know how to how to beat Jamie's. I mean, good Lord. I think you should just talk like yourself, Finch. <laughs> I uh, think Rob needs a turn. I don't yeah. think Rob wants to do it. I think y'all boys need to go ahead and get on back to whatever y'all was doing. <laughs> don't call us boys. <laughs> Yeah, so with no prep, any one of us could step into the role of that character, and all of his fans, like, all 13 of them are like, oh, well, no, we're not going to fucking watch Squidbillies anymore. I didn't know Squidbillies was still on. But he got fired from it because he chose to go to war with a national icon. Did they use his photo or the Squidbilly photo? (laughs) Both. (laughs) Oh, okay. Because if they don't put your photo there, they just put that squid. You got me. That's that's a that's a bad day. You're taking some L's uh, on that one. Um, all right, so now we're so that and that led us to Mount Rushmore because of Squid Billy. We initially started with the Adult Swim uh, cartoon character, and then it kind of broadened to just cartoon characters. So, does anybody know who they're uh, chiseling into? Cliff, anyone? I mean, I guess I, uh, cartoon characters is such a... Uh, yeah, I've got, like, a bunch of ideas. So someone else take the lead, and then I'll follow. <laughs> so I'll, I'll jump think... in. I'll jump in. Um, I'm thinking um, the boondocks. Um, I think it's perfect. But I'm going to go with a pimp named Slickback, because you got to say the whole <laughs> damn thing that doesn't... <laughs> that is pretty good. That is pretty good. I just watched that episode like three days ago. <laughs> that episode's I so now, good. I now I kind of regret leading off with Rob's because that was pretty good. Now I feel like uh, we're going to fall off in the order here. Uh, Finch or Dan, do either of you have yours? Finch, you can go ahead. Yeah, uh, I have two, but I wanted to know, are we saying the, fa- the best cartoon character or the worst? I mean, go with a favorite. And it can be favorite for being just appallingly bad, or it can be someone you really enjoy. Because, I mean, a pet named Slickback is not the best character on the show, but it's keep a in great mind, character. Since, since we, have, we, have, we have tried to become the woke show, keep in mind there's a lot of landmines around Looney Tunes characters. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, you fucking got me, bro. <laughs> like, you might as well kind of like ignore the entire Warner Brothers family. Uh, I'm doing it anyway. I don't give a shit. All right, I'm going to go with the absolute worst uh, cartoon character. No. Pepe Le Pew, that fucking rapist. He's Wait, like why the, Pepe Le Pew? 
Because he's like he's like Joe Biden, always smelling old girl and stuff. <laughs> it's kind of weak. I'm going to take this back to uh, to a kinder, gentler place, and I'm going to go oh, with uh, on, Avatar Ang. Hold, uh, hold, <laughs> hold on, I thought because I actually thought like Finch, like I felt like that's the most cultured thing Finch has talked about on this show. Choosing <laughs> 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 Pepe I thought for sure he was going to go Yosemite Sam, uh, but he went uh, he went French. Good for Finch. Good for you, buddy. Sorry, Dan, you're choosing an egg from Avatar? No, I'm choosing an Avatar egg from Avatar The Last Airbender. Aang. Oh, I thought um, you said egg. He is not my favorite character on the show, but without him, the show couldn't happen, and it is one of the most perfect television shows ever written. Uh, like, they have really wonderful, deep themes and character growth hidden behind this veil of it being a kid's cartoon. It's one of the best shows ever made. And Aang is the centerpiece of the show, so Aang is the one that would deserve to go on the Mount Rushmore for me. Does he ever chase around a cat that gets some paint spilled on it? I uh, know. I was about to do a few joke. Uh, <laughs> oh, I got the fucking joke. It just wasn't funny, Brad. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Jamie, do you have uh, yours, or do you want me to go? No, I got one. Um, this one is probably going to be the one that influenced probably both my love of dumb comedy growing up. But um, And I'm going to keep kind of with the Adult Swim uh, theme with Rob uh, posted with his. But I'm going to go with uh, Brack. Uh, oh, Space from, Ghost. Yeah, from Space Ghost Coast to Coast to um, the Brack show to like wherever he just randomly pops up and stuff. That little weirdo influenced so much of who I am today that I can't help but ha- feel like he needs a place up there. We would kill for the budget of season one of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Mine is uh, uh, my favorite, possibly my favorite cartoon character of all time, uh, Randy Marsh from uh, South Park. And it's him making the oh my god face. Uh, that's what's getting chiseled in there. So we have Pimp Name Slick Pat, Pepe Le Pew, Angley, uh, uh, <laughs> what was uh, Jamie, what was, you just Brack. said yours. Uh, Brack and then uh, Randy Marsh. That is our Mount Rushmore, of course, our top five. Uh, that's the show, I believe. We made it through. Uh, Jamie, if you don't think this podcast is funny, what? I understood your words. God, there it is. Perfect. See you next, talk to you next week.